Hello, and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. From FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management and the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I'm Professor Nathan Dodge, joined by Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Hello, gentlemen. How's it going? Hey, what's Hello. up, Dodge? Now, it might sound a little different today. Brian is on the road traveling the highways and byways of America, or at least the East Coast, so we're going to give him a little pass if if his connection gets a little squirrely. Is that all right with, with you too, John? Yeah, you know, we won't pass today. He, you know, I think you know, I think he's has good reason to uh, take the pass today. Yeah, I think so yeah, too. Yeah, we yeah, might yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that in a couple of weeks. But not only is Brian traveling, yes. the whole show <laughs> is traveling uh, far and wide to get guests uh, for the show every week. So this week, we're going all the way to the South Pacific, to Tahiti, Samoa, Pango Pango in Hawaii, Actually, we're only going to Fort Lauderdale to one of the oldest, but definitely most eclectic restaurants in the area. We're talking to uh, Turn Matai from the Makai. Um, it is rum month, and the best way to keep rum flowing is with some awesome tiki drinks and really the tiki culture. So if you're not familiar with tiki culture, you're really missing out. But we are going to hit on that a lot about the importance. I've actually had the opportunity to go back at the house at Maikot. So I feel pretty lucky about that. And if you are a rum fan, you'd be really jealous of that experience because they've got some of the most amazing rum selection I've ever seen. But before we jump in with our guests and before we jump in talking to uh, Brian about Bacardi Land, for those of you who didn't know it, we did have a special midweek episode. It's only a quick 15 minutes. But it's with our good friend Gabe Arutia. Arutia. Um, he stopped by the Arutia. I'm rolling my R's. I'm practicing. He actually yes. stopped by when we we're recording. He, John Massey, and myself were making some rum cocktails. He used some of the rum that I had infused with mango. Also, we're going to have another midweek episode next week. If you missed Brian's interview with Elizabeth Blau of Las Vegas restaurant fame, you can definitely find that on our podcast. Brian, what's going on in Bacardi Land? Thank you very much, Professor Dodge. Yeah, we are super stoked. Uh, again, by the time you're listening to this show, we have uh, had the opportunity to have our second uh, Bacardi Talks with Elizabeth Blau, as Nathan said, from Las Vegas fame, which is great. Uh, but also, Bacardi Teach, boy, gang, I mean, roaring. We're over 13, if not 1,400 courses taken. We are going to be back in the studio creating new content for that coming up. Our courses are out there. Just a lot of good stuff. Oh, also, new news for that. We have our third Bacardi Talks guest confirmed, who's also, here's a little teaser, guys, another legendary restaurant tour uh, that we'll be talking to. And we'll be feeding out a little bit of more of that information. But look for that the first week of October. Uh, we'll be joined for our third Bacardi Talks. But everything in Bacardi land is great. The scholarships will be announced. The internships will be announced. And to be honest, guys, I'm just really looking forward to getting back in the classroom. So whatever that classroom is going to look like this year, we're looking forward to really kind of cranking up the Bacardi Center of Excellence and our spirit management program. So that's what's going on in the Bacardi. Yeah, everything's working great. Very cool. All right, so get started with our interview. And I am excited to introduce our guest today. He's actually second-generation general manager at the world-famous Mai Kai and FIU hospitality alum, Kern Matai. Hey, Kern, how's it going? Hey! Oh, hey. 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 <laughs> FIU. So you and uh, John, I think, were there about the same time. When did you graduate, Kern? 1991. When did you graduate, John? 
88 for my bachelor's in hospitality, but then I stayed on and hung out there in 91. So we may know some of the same people, I'm sure, if I'm, we mention yeah, names. We won't, yeah. we, won't, we won't bore this, the uh, listeners here with all of the mutual people. Maybe we'll talk about the, the school and some professors. But I guarantee Rocco was there. Oh, yeah. Rocco. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was. Steve Ma was there. And when <laughs> all of us are long gone, Rocco will still be there. And, all right. So, Kern, you're yes. at the Maikai. The Maikai has been there for 64 years now? Yes. We, we opened in 1956, okay. mid-century. So we go way, way back. Originally opened with uh, two brothers from Chicago. They grew up going to Trader Vic's and Don the Beachcombers in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they loved to come to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. They came with their families. And it was after one visit for spring break in the 50s when Fort Lauderdale was hopping with spring breakers. They decided that, hey, this is where they wanted to open their restaurant. And going to Trader Vic's and Don the Beachcombers, they wanted to emulate that style of restaurant, Polynesian restaurant. And um, they opened the Maikai in 1956 and uh, going strong ever since. Yeah, but you, you're saying that uh, Fort Lauderdale is hopping. I've seen that picture that uh, I think it's in one of the back bars of 1956 when the Maikai first opened. And there was nothing but scrub brush around you guys then, right? Yeah, where where we opened was way far away from where anything was uh, being built. Everything was on the beach, Fort Lauderdale Beach, you know, where the boys are, those famous movies. Fort Lauderdale was the, the up and coming town. And somehow the brothers, Bob and Jack, had a vision. They said, this place is, is going to grow and uh, be big. And when they first opened, they were all, we're right now a mile and a half away from the beach. And everybody told them, you're too far away. You're never going to make it. You're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right now, mm-hmm. We're considered close to the beach as you can get, mile and a half away. So we're not right now yeah. in the center of Fort Lauderdale. and We're actually in Oakland Park, but... Uh, it's just uh, amazing how far we've come and and how well we're that we're still doing. It's, it's awesome. How long have you been there? I've been actually grew up there, as as you said. I'm second generation. My dad was general manager when I was growing up as a kid. So I kind of grew up there. I worked in the bar as a bar back bartender and then waiter, starting in high school and all the way through college. So my FIU days, I was bartender and uh, waiter. So I was actually learning on the job while going to college, and it was kind of the best experience you could ask for. And then, you know, going to FIU, they have the job placement right after uh, college. And I left and started working for one of the big corporations right out of college. Worked about five years working for uh, Morrison's Corporation. And okay. then the position came up um, back at uh, the Maikai. So I jumped back in and brought my corporate experience, my college experience, and uh, my growing up experience at the Maikai, and I've uh, been back about 27 years now. Now, our, our show is, so we're a podcast, we're on the internet, we are listened to in about 31 countries, um, which is kind of crazy, because when we started this a few months ago, bored, sitting, we were on uh, lockdown, we are like, eh, maybe some of our students will listen to it, and three or four of our family members, and now we're, we're we, we just surpassed a thousand downloads. We're listening to around the world. So, if you are not familiar with the Mai Kai, this is a Polynesian restaurant. You've got it. You walk in, and it's like you're walking into um, a, a hut 
in Hawaii and there's thatch roofing and there's shrunken heads and they're all sorts of stuff. Am I right? Yes. Lots of stuff. Um, Bob, Jack Thornton, you know, when they opened the restaurant, they, they wanted it to be special and everybody's heard of the, uh, the cocktail Mai Tai and the name means very good. And that's how the drink was created. And they knew that back then and they wanted it to be a little bit better. So they called it Mai Kai which means the finest. And that was their bit to be the finest, being better than good, be the best. And part of that involved the decor. And they were big collectors of Polynesian or South Seas artifacts. And they would often travel to the South Seas on vacation and, and collect uh, tiki's, tiki masks. And, and you can come into the Maikai and just look at the walls and and uh, see some of the decorations, and, and a lot of those are original artifacts from the Polynesian I- islands, you know, from uh, tiki's from New Guinea that used to be um, ceremonial pieces, which are very rare, and they're right there in the Maikai. So we have a lot of collectors and enthusiasts of Polynesian artifacts that will come and just go crazy over the artifacts that are there. They're not just... It's not reproductions. Call. It's all real stuff. Yeah, they call it plastic Polynesia now because all this plastic tiki mask and you can get everything at party supermarket, but ours are, you know, authentic and real collector's items. And we also have a big collection in the Fort Lauderdale Museum of Art with some of the things that we donated uh, a few years ago. So we have our own little private collection on rotation there. And that's how nice some of our stuff is. So um, we've actually had some students from an elementary school in Miami. One of their assignments was to come up and look at the artifacts and write a little uh, synopsis on what they saw. And, and uh, the teacher actually sent them to the Maikai to see our stuff. So we have some really oh, neat awesome. you know, collectors. And even if you're not a collector, just to come in and see all this stuff from, from weapons and masks and tikis. It's just, uh, it's just a real neat atmosphere. It's, it's a lot of fun. So if I bring my students in to uh, see the collection, can I just sit at the Molokai bar and uh, have two yep, for yep. one sit the zombies? Yep, sit at the Molokai bar and just you know, practice your, your rum uh, enthusiasm and uh, help us uh, <laughs> go through some rum. He, he, does, he doesn't need a practice he, for that, Doug. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's very enthusiastic on his own. Hey, there's always time for practice, and there's no better That's place true. to practice at the bar. So, Johnny Boy, what do you... You uh, so you and uh, Kern yeah. were there about the same time. What are your well? Yeah, I, I I'm listening to to Kern's story, and I'm thinking about Kern. If if you and and many of our listeners may know, but but some may not know. I mean, we've each followed both uh, Nathan and Brian and myself have followed our parents in the in the teaching aspects, and so we grew up uh, with our you know uh, our parents teaching. And me in particular grew up with my dad uh, at the Colony Institute of America up in Hyde Park. You um, are growing up in the Mai Kai. My, my, my first question to you is how, how would you describe that experience and, and how has it helped you or made you feel different about how you're managing it now? Well, starting in high school as a bar back, my dad was like, all right, enough of sports already. It's time to get, get work. Uh, you've had your fun and you got to start learning, learning some stuff. And he says, get in the bar. You can start bar back, carrying ice, and loading beers up. And, um, 
and just working with adults and people that were so in love with what they did just instilled something in me that's like, all right, people actually care about what they do as far as work as much as, you know, I grew up playing sports as people love sports. And, um, you know, having that as a basis and a foundation just, just made me even work harder as a manager, knowing that people care about their jobs so much. And, and it doesn't matter what level, from dishwashers to busboys to bartenders to cooks, you know, people just love their jobs so much. And, and as a manager, if you treat them right and take care of them, they'll do anything for you. And uh, just seeing that growing up uh, was like, wow, when I moved up into the management position, it's like, okay, I know what it's like to work in the trenches. And I know what it's like when people give you their all. And now that's what I want to get as a manager from my people. So it just uh, was awesome learning there. And uh, also being there while I go into school, as I said, it's you know, learning yeah. stuff at school and seeing how it's applied on the job is, uh, is it's one of the best experiences ever. I mean, you have some kids that just go to school without working and where most kids in the hospitality industry are working and going to school. It's just uh, being able to put two and two together at the same time and not waiting till you graduate to be a lawyer or to be a doctor or something like that. It's just, uh, it makes the transition so much easier and so much better to be successful in the industry. I I couldn't agree more with you, Kern. When students ask me for advice and they're always asking all of their professors for for advice, I say, work while you're going to school and even better if you work in in your chosen field somewhere in the world of hospitality. And so kudos to you for reinforcing that. Also, Uh, the other thing I would have to say is look at the place where you're applying. And the Maikai, one of the, the great things about the Maikai is everyone that's been there, I think has been there forever. Like your your mater D has been there forever. Your head, it's a um, huge family. Yeah, everyone has been there forever. Which what I would assume means that you really want to be there, and there's yeah, not a lot yeah. of turnover. So it's a family, right? Yeah, a lot of people that I grew up with there. You know, going to school or actually as a kid, growing up at the Maikai, mm-hmm. there were other people that had been there working for twenty, thirty years. I grew up with uh, the second generation of busboys and waiters and. And uh, some of the Polynesian dancers, some of the kids that I grew up with, have gone to all kind of different fields. And, and, and they all say, you know, working at the Maikai gave them the solid foundation to help raise my kids. And that's kind of what my dad did, too. He was, he was working there and take care of the kids. And, and I have friends that uh, all grew up at the Maikai at the same time I did. Not all of them went to the hospitality industry, but they all had the background of their parents working there. And, and they all like just loved the Maikai because, oh, my dad, you know, was a busboy at the Maikai. And I just love the Maikai mm-hmm. so much. Even as a busboy, people just are so proud of their parents that actually worked at the Maikai, no matter what level. It's just amazing how much uh, you take care of the employees that uh, even their families are, are proud of them in any position. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, and as me, as a manager now, it's like I'm always thinking, it's like, man, these people are so enthusiastic about what their parents did that I've got to keep the pressure on myself to make sure that I instill that in my employees as they try to raise their kids and make sure no matter what position they are, their kids are proud of them. It's kind of yeah. amazing. You know what I think is 
important too, guy. You know, we have such an international uh, group of listeners mm. now that haven't had the opportunity to experience the Mai Kai. So I think it'd be important that we talk, you know, talk them through a little bit about, we mentioned the Polynesian show, we mentioned a little bit about the decor, but let's give them a little bit of a taste. You know, if you don't mind, you know, talk a little bit about like, what is the guest experience when they kind of walk in and what's it all about? Just so our listeners have a really good idea. Well, the atmosphere is, is just totally over the top. What Bob and Jack put together from the decor, when you walk into the restaurant, it's like transporting into a, uh, a different place. It's just not like a restaurant in a strip mall. Uh, we, we own the property. So from when you drive up, there's palm trees. We have tiki torches outside. So you see the, the fires as you drive up and you drive up under a thatched roof. You get out of the car. And as you enter the doors um, from the slate floors to all the panels on the wall, whether it be antiqued, uh, wood panels or tapa from uh, Polynesia to our tiki masks, our tikis, the decor just just takes you away. Now, as you go into our Molokai bar, where you can get uh, tropical drinks and appetizers, the decor is more nautical. And I like to compare that to going to Disney World when you go into the Pirates of the Caribbean. When you're walking through, waiting on the ride, it's you're walking into the whole experience. And that's kind of how you feel when you go to the Baikai. You're going into the bar. It's very nautical. There's ship ropes hanging around. There's harpoons that they used the uh, 18th century, you know, to kill uh, whales. And and all these artifacts are on the wall. So you're like, you, you leave the experience of Fort Lauderdale as a city, and you're actually at the Maikai. So if you're sitting at the bar having drinks, uh, you're having appetizers, we have these windows in the Molokai bar where we have water running down the windows. So you can't look out the window and see anything. You look out the window with the water and we've got a fence with tiki's behind it. So you don't know where you are. You're just, you're just escaping from uh, your normal everyday routine. And then if you go into the showroom, you got the same kind of atmosphere with the tiki, tiki huts and thatch roof and all the artifacts. And you have a Polynesian show on top of that. So you can have your tropical drinks. You have appetizers. We have a whole Asian-inspired, Polynesian-inspired menu to go along with that. And, and if you don't want to see a show, we have our Tahiti dining rooms where you can sit even outside in our gardens. We have 20-foot waterfalls. We have giant tikis up to 20 feet and uh, palm trees. We have a rare collection of palm trees as well as orchids. And you could sit outside among these giant tikis and waterfalls and uh, just have a whole Polynesian experience right here in Fort Lauderdale. So a lot of people will just come. It's like a, a little mini vacation for the night. Almost like going to Disney World for just a couple hours and having dinner and going back home. And it's just a lot of fun. It's See, that's dinner, amazing. It's a great show, too. Yeah, show. absolutely. Yeah. And you, know, yeah. you guys want to go now? This is going to be great. Hey, Nathan, that also yeah. explains why you get seasick when you go into the bar, though, too. Could be the rum. Could be the rum that causes. Drink no, responsibly, no, no. everybody. <laughs> but it could be. You gotta remember that. Oh, you're not drunk. You're just seasick. I'm seasick. Yeah. So, like I said, I have had the opportunity of, of seeing some of the rum you have in the back. And I was shocked when I saw an old bottle of Bacardi. And it said made in Cuba. And I went, well, that makes sense because you were pre-banned, you were pre-Castro Cuba. 
But how much of that stuff do you still have laying around? How much old stuff? Do Not you much of the pre-Castro uh, Bacardi. But actually, in the 50s, when we were open, we opened in 56, um, all the Bacardi came from Cuba. So you come in, you sit at the Mai Kai, you order a Bacardi and Coke, you're getting Cuban Bacardi, uh, believe it or not. That was our house rum. And it wasn't until the early 60s, you know, Castro took over, the Bacardi family took off, it went to Puerto Rico. Um, Bob and Jack, they saved a bunch of cases. Uh, I guess it was in 62, 63, right around that era. And right now we're 2020. So uh, throughout the years, they had a nice collection of the Cuban Bacardi. But up until now, we're just down to a few bottles that we keep and, you know, try to preserve for uh, historical, you know, facts and and fun just so we have the Cuban Bacardi. And, and now for collectors, you know, vintage rums are, are uh, one of the biggest things out there right now, vintage liquors. So um, people will come in there and see our original rums from the 50s and 60s. And Bob and Jack collect, collected rums from back then. And, you know, we probably paid 50 cents a bottle for the Cuban Bacardi back then. Wow. And now, for, you know, $800,000 a bottle. So people freak out. Nathan, stop drooling, Nathan. Stop drooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's drooling on his mic. Yeah, sorry about that. But you've also teamed up now with The Real McCoy, and you've, you've started making rum specifically for the Mai Kai, correct? Yes, yes. You know, rum has started to make a, uh, a comeback. It's getting really popular now. And so are the single vintage rums. Uh, and, and we just said, hey, we need to get on board and, and um, get it, stay up with the times because uh, we, we often change our food menu. And we are involved with the Real McCoy. We have it on our rum list. And uh, Bailey Pryor, who created the Real McCoy, said we're having this program where we work with different people on creating a rum just specific uh, for your establishment. And, you know, the Royal McCoy comes from Barbados and uh, it's made by one of the premier rum makers uh, of our times right now. It's Richard Seal. He's uh, just elevated rum so much. And Bailey Pryor has all his rum overseen by Richard Seal. So when we had a chance to jump on that and create a rum specifically for the Mai Kai, we asked him, you know, if we can get something that would go good with our tropical drinks and be sippable as well. And um, he went back to Richard Steele and, and said, uh, we'll come up with a blend or a couple blends. And he would send us back and forth different blends and, until we were happy with the blend that we wanted for the Mai Kai. So uh, we put our stamp of approval on one blend and uh, said, this is it. And uh, they put together a couple barrels for us, aged a few more months, and bottled it for us. Now we have our own real McCoy. 12-year, we were their 12-year blends, so um, it's a Mai Kai blend just for us from Real McCoy. All the rums are aged at least 12 years, and it's a thick, rich uh, blend. It's got uh, some full-bodied rum that you can mix with, but also if you want to drip and sip it straight, you can sip that rum straight and just, it's a perfect sipper and mixer. So uh, we're, we're happy to have our stamp of approval on that. And for any rum enthusiasts out there, we're going to do an online Skype meeting with Bailey Pryor, and he's going to go over the history of the Real McCoy. You know the basic history of the Real McCoy rum? I do. I think Brian probably does. Like John, you do you know? 
Well, ever- I, I, we were talking before we got on, so you all enlightened me, the culinary guy. So thank you both for that, and certainly we can share that with our audience. Oh, we got to share. We got to share. Gotta share. Now we got to talk about Bill McCoy. Yeah. But to make it real simple, if you've heard the uh, term, you know, uh, oh, that's, that's the real McCoy. It goes back to Bill McCoy, who was a rum smuggler, a rum runner, and he used to bring in uh, not only rum, but gin and vodka, whatever he needed. He would uh, illegally import it to the U.S. And back then, people would water down liquor and uh, anything they were importing, except Bill McCoy. He wouldn't do that. His was the best uh, illegally imported uh, alcohol available. And people knew that then became known as the real McCoy. So that term stuck around for years. And uh, Bailey Pryor just did the history of that and ended up creating his own rum. So he's going to do uh, you know the full history on uh, Bill McCoy. And up until recent times, how he developed his rum with Richard Zeal and then how the Mike I got involved and uh, how he teamed up with us and Richard Seal to create our own Mike blend. So that's coming up this month. We'll be promoting it on our Facebook page and people can buy the rum only directly at the Mike and taste it along with uh, Bailey Pryor. And he knows everything it is about the real McCoy rum and Bill McCoy. So uh, it should be an interesting uh, seminar that we're looking forward to hosting. Very I cool. think you're going to have to count this in on that one. Well, I know it's August 13th from 6.30 to 7.30. And if you send me a link, I'll make sure that's on the show notes that we send out with our show so that you can get a few more Absolutely. people to listen. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think, Kern, one of the things that, that impresses me most whenever I visit the Maikai is all of the traditions that you have. And I love the fact that you're, you're continuing to do, implement new things like this real McCoy rum tasting and, and some of the virtual things. What other things aside from that are you doing to kind of like balance the traditions that you've established while still trying to keep things fresh? What's the, what would have been some of the changes that have been popular that have you've shifted towards? Well, like growing up in Fort Lauderdale, some of the, uh, you know, bigger restaurants that I've seen as I was going to school and finishing school, like, uh, yesterday's the down under you know i would always see them as a hot spot growing up but as i got older it turned into an older crowd spot where the older people went for early birds and 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 eventually their clientele started dying off and they ran out of clientele there was no and they ended up closing up and seeing that and coming back on board as in management that's like you know we gotta kind of change with the times and and back then, when I started in the, in the 90s, sometimes you try to change stuff and people would get upset. You can't take away my almond chicken. You can't change this. And, and I said, like, hey, if we don't change, leave my poo-poo plan alone. Try. We got to keep up with the times, whether it's a little bit at a time or a lot at a time. So uh, I would say back in the 2000s, turn of the century, um, Hawaiian cuisine started getting popular. There was a big uh, movement in Hawaii and trying to get the local foods popular and everything local grown. And, and it kind of went well with what we were doing. It's like the Maikai is Polynesian, the Hawaii is Polynesian, Hawaii is American. And we started introducing new foods on the menu and people started enjoying it and without taking away the old foods, just expanding our menu. And the Hawaiian cuisine went really well. 
And from there, we started adding, you know, a few dishes here and there. And pretty soon, some of the old dishes we were able to take away because the people that were eating them weren't there anymore. And I would say around the 2000s, we started, you know, keeping the old items that we're selling and just rotating in new ones slowly but surely. Um, you know, Thai food started coming around around 2010. Yeah. All the sushi places started adding Thai food. So we added some Thai dishes, you know, a Thai red curry. Um, not oh, really, yeah. but it goes well with our food. And we have a lot of woks mm. that we cook in. So uh, pad Thai, Thai red curry, stuff like that. And, and we try to keep innovating with our menu as far as food goes, adding new items while also keeping the classic items. Like we have our Chinese ovens. It's a wood-burning oven. We have special steak marinade. And all of our steaks are USDA prime, so we use the best steaks available. So we charge steak steakhouse prices. You're going to pay $50, $60 for a steak, but you're going to get some of the best steaks available and cooked over uh, oak logs. It's hard to find that anywhere. So wood-burning ovens, um, prime steaks. Uh, we're real popular right now for our Peking duck. We've been doing that for years. My favorite is the duck. That is my absolute favorite. People love the Peking duck. And we were featured a couple years ago, I'd say maybe three or four years ago, on the Food Network where they featured our Peking duck. And since then, it's been mm. taken off. People come from all over the country and they, they want to order Peking duck. So some of the classics we got to keep. But always try to throw something new in there whenever you can. Um, and just last year, December, a lot of these Christmas pop-ups for cocktails were happening. They're going all over the country. So we did our own Christmas cocktail list. We had four cocktails with Christmas names and Christmas flavors. And, and uh, people really were excited to try that. And some of the old timers was like, no, I want my barrel of rum. And, but a lot of people like, I, I want to try your Christmas barrel. It's a little different. And a little twist on the Mai Kai and some people like to try new things. So, and people love the Christmas holidays. So we brought a lot of new people in to try the Christmas drinks and gave our old timers, you know, something else new to try too. Um, I think it's always good to innovate, keep the staples, but also keep trying new things. It's, um, it's the name of the game. Keep yourself relevant good for you. Good for you. And, 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 the, and the important word is balance between those two. And it, it seems like you, you have uh, achieved that really well. So kudos to you. Yep. You got to try it. And, uh, sometimes you fail and you just got to suck it up and just try something new. I'm, I'm like the uh, baseball players say, yeah, you got to strike out, you know, a couple of times before you hit a home run. And it's true. Same with the restaurant. You try something special and you might love it. It's the best thing ever. You put it out there on the menu and, and, and nobody likes it. And the dishes that you wouldn't expect, they they take off. They, you never know. And you you can't tell until you till you try it and go out there and and you know, just like now with the uh, the coronavirus and all the shutdowns, it's it's kind of a mess out there. But you got to try and navigate and and keep trying new things. And and if you're if you got a restaurant now, you you kind of know every week. Or every day, you, you don't know what's going to hit you, whether it's a new curfew or uh, another shutdown or, or riots in the streets. There's always something that's affecting us since we've been uh, reopened. And 
we're just I'm just always on our toes to see what's going to happen, and we're at fifty percent capacity right now, and uh, it's it's a tough time seeing these people. Uh, some of the finest restaurants in the world are are giving up, shutting their doors down, but uh, we're not giving up, and we just started doing some cocktails to go, and we oh, brilliant. instead of doing cocktails, we're doing it by the gallon. Because uh, we have our big format cocktails, our barrel of rum and our mutiny, you know, they're big drinks. And to fill it up for a gallon, it doesn't take many drinks. So we're selling them by the gallon and, uh, you know, 80, 100 bucks for a gallon. And people are jumping on it. They say, I have cocktails instead of for one drink for one night. They've got it for the whole weekend. That's and- awesome. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> We've been pushing that out and people are just going crazy over it. Nathan is we'll drooling on Friday. We'll be by on Friday <laughs> before we go over to Nathan, before we go over to Nathan's pool. There you go. So, gang, I think that's an amazing segue because you really got me going. Um, so, we mentioned our uh, friend and colleague Gabriel, and he posted something on one of his uh, social media pages of Morgan Freeman talking about independent restaurants. Uh, obviously, the Mai Kai is a quintessential gathering restaurant, special occasion restaurants. Even at 50%, you know, you're still cranking. And I, I think this is a great opportunity for all of us are, you know, hospitality professionals. One of us is more of a hospitality eater, but that's a different story altogether. No, no, John, not you. Gang, you know, do you think that the current hospitality or the current restaurant business model is broken? Do we think it's broken? Related to the coronavirus, I would say yes, because right now we're at 50%. And we see in our showroom which is our big money draw. Everybody comes to see the show. We see 300 people and at 50% capacity and six foot distancing, I'm only able to fit 130 people. So that's less than 50% for me. And that means also my income is dropping by more than 50%. So that's a big hit and that's broken. And, you know, I'm selling gallons for a hundred bucks a gallon, but it's expensive for a lot of people. So I might be selling gallons, but uh, some of my people are spending $100 a person when they come in to eat. So it's hard to sell enough gallons to actually make up for those losses. So uh, we're, we're, we're running tight right now. Um, and we have to add a lot of people on. You know, we have to have a, a doorman just open the doors. I don't want people touching the doors. So when they feel commit, they come in, they feel safe. And the bathrooms... If you've been to our bathrooms, instead of one attendant, I got two. I got one outside. So when it gets crowded inside, I, I start a line outside. So people don't get too crowded in there, don't feel comfortable. And I've got extra bus boys and extra waiters to help clean, to help sanitize between seatings. So I've got increase in my payroll. I've got increase, you know, bringing all the sanitation supplies. I'm paying more for expenses, but my income is dropping. By fifty, more than fifty percent. So it's it's a tough time right now, and you got to kind of think of ways. It's tough to save money or crunch money when you got to spend more money. It's it's really really tough. You know, in the old days, you know, business drops down. You, you cut your kitchen staff, you cut your weight staff, you cut everybody. And but now I'm adding staff, so it's kind of a crazy time. And every day you read somebody's closing down, even the big corporate chains. Oh, we're closing 100 restaurants. It's like, oh, man, just right in the back of your head. You're going to say, how how can I not be that next restaurant that goes under? What are we going to do? Because um, right now, Fort Lauderdale, 
in the past 20, 30 years has built up a big summertime business. So we're usually jam packed over the summer um, Hmm. until school starts. So, you know, we're down, you know, more than 50% over the summer, which is almost over because school's starting and we got to make some big plans for the fall. Right now we usually start planning for October. We do a big Halloween party in our Molokai bar. Then we jump right into Thanksgiving and, and Christmas time. But we're we're gonna right now we're going day by day, week by week. What are we gonna do next week? What can we innovate? What kind of specials can we bring? Just to it's not only keeping relevant right now, but keeping afloat. We gotta keep alive right now. Yeah, definitely. Stay on top. That's very much music to my ears when you say things like, you know, to innovate and stay relevant. You know, what are, you know, we do have a good amount of restaurant tours listening, independent restaurant tours listening to the show. And, you know, you're definitely in that pro uh, legendary status. But what would be that kind of, well, let's say, what are the words of advice you would give them to kind of survive during these challenging times? That's a tough call because every restaurant's different. For me, I have to keep the doors open to keep people coming in. I hear of other restaurants that are, are just, just banging out with the takeouts. They're just making so much money on the takeouts. And I'm on a forum uh, online where somebody says, should I look into opening the doors? And I'm like, no, if you can make money doing takeout, you, you're limiting on the kitchen staff. You just bring in what you need. You don't have service staff. You don't have to clean. You don't have to buy all the supplies, all the extra stuff that you I'm doing. And if you can make just as much money just doing takeout, do it. Because once you open up, you open up a whole bunch of different scenarios. Um, like I said, with my showroom, I just fit one thirty, you know, and people wanted to come in and, you know, try to squeeze a few tables in, uh, try to accommodate people. But as the spike started to increase, people were starting to get mad. They're like, that, that's not six feet. I'm like, it's five and a half feet. It's five feet. And they're like, no, it's not good enough. I, I'm scared. And either I'm going to leave or I'm going to report you. And, you know, you don't know what uh, the city or the county is going to do. Or they're just going to give me a warning, give me a fine or shut me down because the tables are five feet instead of six feet. And right now I'm not, not willing to take that risk. So they're getting a little tougher. I can't lean up and try to squeeze in an extra table. So if someone comes in and says, Hey, you got room for two. And right now it's like, no, I'm done. I said, you want to see the show? You got to come back tomorrow. Just, I'm not going to risk my business for a couple of dollars where you might be shut down for 24 hours or yeah. 48 hours. Never what the penalty can be because yeah. the crisis is getting so severe now. So, Depends on your business. If you can make money with takeout, do it. But if you have to open up, not only are you surviving, taking care of your family, but you're taking care of all your employees and their families. And that's what I think about a lot too. You know, take care of many people, but also making sure that the restaurant's making money and the restaurant survives. It's, it's It's a tough fall game right now. Wow, that's well said. I mean, that's definitely really well said. And I, I agree a lot with what you're saying. I mean, you have a big, big operation, and your words of advice there will be important. So I'm always the fun guy, and I always like to kind of 
Uh, yeah, you really brought us down on that one. Thanks a lot. I know, but, you, but no, seriously, because... <laughs> Thanks a lot. Hey, I'm a restaurant guy. It's my passion. It's how I make my living. I teach it. I live it. I breathe it. So I'm always, you know, real kind of curious, but I want to hear from other restaurant pros what's out there. All right. So the fun stuff here, and I'm going to keep this real simple, and I know it's going to be partially your dad's generation, but I know you got some stories. What about the Rack Pack? What about all these guys that used to come down from Jackie Gleason to Frank Sinatra? To I know this makes uh, Chef Massey and I very happy, but you got any of those good stories from the legendary restaurant? Yes, for the old guys, absolutely. Johnny Weissmiller. Tarzan, he loved the mic. I used to hang out at Fort Lauderdale a lot. And he loved hanging out with the dancers, all the entertainers. They would party after the shows. He would show up to the restaurant. I didn't know that was a possibility. I want to party with the dancers. My wife's not listening, right? Hey, you can, if you're on TV, you can hang out with anybody. He would come in and do his Tarzan call, you know, right in the middle of the show, just to let the dancers know he was there. He'd go in the bar afterwards, like, Johnny's here. And bam, they'd all go hang out with him in the bar. And then he would always, that's how he would make his announcement. And then um, for the Fort Lauderdale people, if you guys remember Porky's, the movie. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I grew up, you know, near the Maikai. My dad's house was right behind the Maikai. And just north of the Maikai was an empty field. And I would always ride my bike with my friends there. And we always called it Porky's Field. And growing up, I didn't know why. We just hung out and played at Porky's Field. So I started working at the Maikai in the bar. And the head bartender told me one night, he goes, yeah, back in the day after work, we'd all go to Porky's. And it was right there at that field. And I was like, what? The Porky's from the movie? And he was like, yeah, Porky used to hang out with the Micah all the time. And after we shut down, you know, Porky's was open till six in the morning. All the Micah people would go hang out at Porky's and just raise hell till six in the morning. We'd sleep all day, come right back to work. And so Porky's was a regular at the Micah also. That's cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> one more for the sports fans. Oh. Oh. You know, the New York Yankees. Yeah. Unfortunately, it says the Red Sox fan. Yes. Springs Raining used to be right there at Fort Lauderdale, the Fort Lauderdale Stadium. Back then, Mickey Mantle era, all those (sighs) after spring break, they would come to the Mica and hang out. And I've, you know, I talked to, like you mentioned, the Maitre D, Angel Vega. He was there 53 years. He was like, oh, yeah, I remember Mickey Mantle and all those guys used to come hang out at the Mica. Absolutely. He knew all those guys. So big baseball fans would always comes to the mic to see the baseball players during spring break that's that's awesome that's i mean and like, cool. when you walk into that place you know it has stories you know it's like yeah. if these walls could talk you know oh. and how much <laughs> too much all right this has been incredible gang uh, johnny fun. yeah absolutely I'm, I'm i'm driving and smiling at the same time here though chef john noble massey you got any closing thoughts sir I have, uh, let's see, I have two closing thoughts. Number one, if you're a student, a restaurateur, anyone in the business, please share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. This in particular, I've really enjoyed this episode and, and talking with, with Kern. There's a really lot of valuable uh, lessons here that have been shared. So please share this episode with your friends. And then number two... 
we'd like to have someone other than our moms, uh, <laughs> my dad, review our podcast, and, and Nathan's dad review our podcast. So please, if you're on Apple, iTunes, please give us a review. Five stars is really nice. And thank you very much. Have a great day. We'll, well, yeah. Nathan, what else do you have? Nathan Dodge, sir, what do you got? I just want to say, make sure you do follow us on Facebook at Two Bar Stools and a Knife, and also the Bacardi Center of Excellence. Remember, those are two different pages with two different posts. Follow us on Instagram. I'm Professor N Dodge. There's BP Connors and Chef or John Noble Massey, all one word. Remember, if you didn't listen to our Gabe Orutia, I, I really rolled the R on that one. Uh, our midweek episode, it is up now. It's only about 15 minutes. Won't take too long of your time talking about rum cocktails that he made. Also, for those of you who missed Brian's conversation with Elizabeth Blau, that will be up on the podcast on Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever I put it up. And remember to drink responsibly as I finish my zombie. Um, thank you. Oh, thank you. There you go. Well, guys, this has been incredible. This is this is the quintessential, I get to use that word twice, restaurant guy conversation. I loved it. So it's all good. I think we hit two of our things. We've talked about restaurants and booze. Oh, there you go. Yeah, two, some of our favorite yeah. things. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks, guys, Bye. for having me. Uh, Bye, Kai. I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, Bottoms up. Bottoms up.